0: Father in heaven, Lord, we recognize our need for your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth as we spend some time studying your word. Lord, we recognize that so many people misapply different things and they come up with crazy theories, and Lord, we just pray that you would safeguard us from that. Lord, may your spirit guide us to a closer knowledge of who you are, and Lord, help us to learn practical ways of how to increase our devotional life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the topic for this session is Principles of Division. Now, this is, how many of you liked division in elementary school? Long division? Do you guys remember that? I remember like fifth, sixth grade when that hit. It was just chaos in my mind, right? Now, imagine if your teacher just gave you a division problem and never explained to you how to divide it. Would that be a little overwhelming? Not only overwhelming, wouldn't you come up with some pretty fancy answers? <laughs> so this is it's similar in the Bible, right? We let's look at Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen. This is gonna be our platform that we're gonna start off in this presentation. Second Timothy chapter two and verse fifteen. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, or the King James says, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? So it's interesting. A workman who doesn't need to be ashamed is one that's equated with accurately dividing scripture. Correct? We can see that here. So then the question comes up, how do you interpret scripture, right? I mean, that question, if if God's like, hey, just, you know, divide it right, God bless, you know, and just walks away, you're like, oh no, what's going to happen? But God gives us principles within his word to help us to divide it, right? And some of those principles, which we're not going to talk about um, at length here, We, we know the principle of line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, and let scripture interpret itself is what we're looking at in those verses. Now, how many of you have heard those verses used before in a study the Bible seminar? So the reason why we're not gonna be looking at that is because it's, it's so prevalently used. And so I just wanna focus our, as, our, our time on a little different aspect of studying the Bible. So we wanna make sure that we are going line upon line, which what that means is you're just line upon line, right? I mean, pretty simple. And we're not going to delve into the exegetical side of that. But what we are going to look at are just different principles in the Bible or of of study, even in different material that can be applied to the Bible that helps us to understand it better. The first thing that I want to say is that studying the Bible, and this may not sound like a revelation to you, but it was surely a revelation to me, is that in studying the Bible, there is no key that unlocks the mysteries of scripture. One single key, one single little nuance of how you do it that underlo- unlocks it, right? God is not a God of like the Buddhists, where the Buddhists believe in enlightenment, where once you get enlightened, you've just walked into this new world of where everything make- makes sense and everything is spiritual. That's not how the Bible is, right? But God is a God that asks you to study. You spend time, you, you're studying His Word, and it's through that study that you start to understand, right? It's not just technique, is, is that clear? And the reason I bring that up is because if we think it's technique, we can waste so much time looking for that specific technique of studying scripture that we lose all the time that we could have used in just studying scripture itself. Now, I'm not saying there aren't principles we apply and there, there is a lot in depth, but I just don't want us to try to be finding the right formula or thinking that God is just some sort of mystery that has to be figured out because that's not what scripture's like, right? God desires it to be revealed to us. We've seen that in the first seminar. He desires us to know him. And so he's already wanting to show it to us, but how are we going to learn it? The first and most important thing would be repetition. How many of you agree with that? When you study for a test, do you just read the information through once and say, well, I know it, you know, I'm ready for my final. Is that how you study for tests? Why not? So you're saying just because you've read it doesn't mean you know it? So this is, this is what I want to bring out. Sometimes, and this is, I, I've had friends who, you know, I'll start sharing something with them. And I'm like, they're like, I know that, I know that, but like what else? And I'm like, no, 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 this is it. You know, this is what we need to understand. That the Bible isn't just what we see on the surface necessarily, but it's through repetition that we can start to understand the deeper things of Scripture. And Scripture is laid out in a very interesting way. And if you just, this is a very large overview type look at Scripture. Scripture is always referring to itself. Have you ever noticed that? And to how many of you is that kind of frustrating sometimes? Like, ah, oh, I don't even know what happened back then. Why are you referring to that? And what I, I want to say is that it's not the only literature that does that, right? Have you guys ever read poetry? Now, I had a friend this summer. He was, a, it was actually a really funny experience. A big guy, Hispanic, six foot You know, works out in the gym. And I just thought I'd randomly ask him one time, like, hey, man, uh, what's your favorite thing to do in the world? Like, favorite thing? And he looks at me, you know, manly guy, and he's like, study poetry. I'm like, are you serious? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, study poetry. He's like, that's what I love. And I was like, are you Wow. He's dead serious. And he was was totally serious. So I thought, well, this poetry thing might have something in it, right? So I'm taking a World uh, Survey of Literature class at my college. And we're surveying different poetry and different things like that. And I thought it was the most boring thing I've ever read. And no offense to those who like poetry. Like, some of it was beautiful, and there was some nice stuff. But there was one author, some specific authors, I can't even think of their names right now, who would be alluding to their own works. Like, they would use this phrase, and they would have used that phrase before in a poem 20 years before. And that context helps you to understand this poem. And I'm like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, Why can't you just speak in English? Like, Tell me what you're thinking. And uh, sometimes it's frustrating. And I'm thinking, how can someone love something so cryptic? But what's interesting is when you start to understand poetry, you start to get a richer meaning, right? Because instead of just saying one sentence, you have this huge connotation that goes along with it, right? And that's kind of the beauty of poetry, that you're, you're getting this big picture along with this simple phrase. Do you guys see that? And so it's, it's similar with Scripture. You know, God uses many allusions. Like you look through Revelation. How many times did, uh, does it allude to the Old Testament? Hundreds of times. And all these different allusions are to pull you back to other parts of the Scripture. And once you understand that part of the Scripture, which might allude to something else, it's just like this constant chain that runs throughout Scripture. Do you see that? And so the reason why I say familiarity with Scripture is the most important thing is that if we're not familiar with the whole Bible we're going to be missing out on pieces here and there. Now, don't feel overwhelmed. Um, if, if there are others like me, I haven't studied the whole Bible through. I don't know it all. I haven't memorized it from cover to cover, um, even though I would love to and would, you know, working in that direction. But when we come to Scripture, it's important to have a broad knowledge. That's, that's what I want us to know. And so for those who think, well, I'm just wasting my time reading Scripture, or, you know, I just need to study instead of just reading, Yes, we do need to study, but reading gives us an overview of what's really happening. It sets the stage, sets the context. Does that make sense? So that's principle number one. Don't just be looking for a formula. Be looking for an overview of Scripture that helps us to understand it better. The second thing would be that sometimes Scripture is hard to understand. Would you agree? I think we can all agree. I mean you look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, and Peter's talking about some of Paul's works. And he's talking about how people have even rested or twisted those scriptures to their own demise. Like, they've, they've so misunderstood the scripture that it's caused them to have a false understanding of what Paul was even saying. So I'm not saying that all scripture knowledge is just laying on the surface, but only when you understand the Bible and its whole context can you be able to start to pull out the deeper themes. For example... If I knew nothing about the Sabbath, and I I read a verse that talks about, you know, judge no man according to the Sabbaths, I would think that the Sabbath was done away with, right? I mean, just in a very simplistic view. But when you have this larger overarching view of scripture and realize what ceremonial Sabbaths were and all these different things, it helps you to be able to put things in context. And so we really need to just be so familiar with scripture that it's protruding out of us. You know, like we're walking Bibles and we can just dictate it to each other on the way or, you know, something along those lines. Like just knowing with it, to be studying it, to be immersed in it, to where that's what the lenses that we're seeing through. Also, it's very important to know the context. Do you guys agree? Um, what was it that Pastor Bachelor said last night that he said, oh man, I hope someone doesn't just flip to this channel now because they would think what? Yeah. You know, those things happen. And if no one had the context for what was taking place, then it would be really easy to, to miss the whole picture, and they might think Doug Batchelor's some apostate, which he's not, praise the Lord, he's a godly man. So, but the same thing can happen with Scripture, right? You can approach Scripture, and you can think, wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. You go to the Old Testament and there's like conquering kingdoms. And you're like, oh, God is calling us to take over different kingdoms. And Islam is going to be, you know, and you start coming up with all these fanciful ideas. Because you don't have a broader view of scripture. Make sense? Another point is that scripture talks about Christ, right? It's a revelation of who Christ is, who God is, a revealing of his character. So when we study We need to make sure that everything that we're studying is in connection with who God is. Like, why is the Sabbath important? Because the Sabbath in and of itself wouldn't be important, right? Just the seventh day of the week where you rest, that's not important. But when you realize that that's in a memorial for spending time with Christ and getting to know him and remembering what he's done for you, how he's led you out of the bondage of Egypt or the slavery of sin and also the creation and his power. When you start to see that, it becomes more powerful, right? And so when we can realize that Scripture is all pointing to Christ, it helps us to actually gain the benefit from it. Now, there are a few simple things I want to sh- share with you on actually getting into the text of Scripture itself. So we went over them in the last seminar. We talked about different ways of studying the Bible, correct? We went through a whole different plan, like you can study Spirit of Prophecy, you can study, you know, all these different things. And one thing that we honed in on was studying a specific book, right, right? And that's what we're going to go through right now in this seminar. What, we, what is very profitable is picking a book and just studying through that systematically. So for this seminar, we're going to study through a portion of Ephesians. So if I was going to study Ephesians and I was approaching it for the first time, what would we do for those who were here before? Read the whole book. Good. So do I just read it once? Several times. And here's some practical ways of how to read it. Read it fast, like just reading it really quick, not stopping to think, okay, what does that mean? But you're reading it really quick to just try to get a a big overview. Then you read it slow, trying to go through, okay, not really taking time to decipher each verse, but just getting more of a feel for, okay, this is what he's meaning, this is what he's meaning, I'm working through it slower so I can think about it. Then another way is read it backwards, and I'm not talking about start at the end of the sentence and work back, but start at chapter six and work back to chapter one, because sometimes we get so caught up in this little framework that we're not seeing the larger overarching picture. And so start at chapter six, go back to chapter one, then you can read it out of order, read chapter one, then chapter six, and chapter three, then two, you know what I'm saying? And so just break it up, because we don't want to just be in a pattern of seeing everything the same way, but we want to understand the themes, right? And be careful not to get caught up in like little nuances, right? Like little nuances of scripture. Um, I know for me, when I was studying through Ephesians, that it took an eternity to get through some verses because I'm like, I don't know what this one word means. Like, what does he mean by that? You know, what is it? And in all reality, like, does that have a huge significance on my life, like of understanding who God is? So don't get distracted with little things. Allow, just try to see the overarching pictures and the themes in the text. Because how do we believe the Bible was inspired? You know, do we believe that it was by verbal inspiration God sent next to Moses and just told him what to write. No, he, he gave him thoughts, right? It was inspiration. And so he inspired him on what to write. And I, I believe it's God inspired. I'm not making light of scripture. All I'm saying is that it's not the specific word that God told him to write, right? So if we get caught up in all these words and nuances and you can come up with crazy theology and you can waste a lot of time. So the second thing, after you've gotten this, this view of Scripture, the book from the outside, the big perspective, then what do we do? We talked about this in the last section. Chapter by chapter. Perfect. So once you're, you've finished reading through the whole, the whole book, right, you should have some sort of theme that you think this book means. So you're reading through Ephesians, and you keep seeing this theme, unity, unity in Him, in Christ. And you're like, what? okay, maybe the theme is unity. So you put unity as your theme and you're writing down notes to try to understand. You get to chapter one and you read it through several times and you're like, okay, I think this is what the theme is. So you just write it down briefly. So you're trying to categorize what the thought process of Paul is so that we can understand the, the larger picture, but also the smaller details, right? Because if I tell you to put a puzzle together, how many of you want to look at the big picture first before you start putting it together? Right? I mean, it's difficult. If I just have you looking at the pieces and I'm like, just put the picture together, you'll figure it out. That's why we don't start with going verse by verse through the Bible, but we start with larger themes to know where to place it in the context. So after you get through the chapter, then you start going verse by verse. And you can start grouping verses together. And what I mean by that, say chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 3, is Paul's introduction to the Ephesian church. Chapter 1, verse 4, and you know what I'm saying? So you're just going through you're grouping And this is just helping you to kind of understand the the train of thought. Is this making sense? Very simplistic. It's not hard. And the second thing, aside from the the pattern of how you're studying the book, is asking questions. How many of you have realized that asking questions helps a lot in your study, even in school? And I'm sure studying any line of, of education, like we have chemistry people in here, biology, medical, theology whatever you're studying, asking questions helps you to get to the root of the issue or helps your mind to be able to understand what the author's saying, right? And that's the same thing with scripture. So some great things to ask is, you know, the common who, what, where, when, why, how. For example, like, who wrote this book? And so you think of Ephesians. Okay, so Paul wrote this book. What did he write it for? Like, who is it to? It's for the Ephesian church, you know? And you're just working through, and some questions may seem so easy and like, well, I don't even need to answer that. But once you just get into the habit of asking questions, it becomes habitual and it's easier to see the the harder things that are to understand. Does that make sense? So let's start looking at Ephesians chapter 1 because I want to make sure that we spend some time doing this together. And then we'll have a question and answer period, hopefully. So Ephesians chapter 1. And I'll be reading from the King James just because that's what I memorized in so it's easier. Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 1. So, does anyone have a a decently comfortable feel with Ephesians? Like, do they know what's going on, the principles, some underlying, or or how many of you feel like it's a totally new study? New study? Good. So, what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through, and we're not going to go as slow as you would maybe in your own personal time, but we're just going to be looking at principles of pulling out from Scripture what's there, okay? Okay. And connecting the verses with the verses. Because sometimes we can get so caught up in, well, that was what verse 4 was saying. That can't be verse 5. Just remember, it's a continuation. It's not just a division. And so we're going to try to connect it and see what Paul's point is. And hopefully it will encourage you to want to study scripture more. So let's go ahead and start reading. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So what's taking place here? What just happened? What is Paul saying? It's his introduction. Okay, so who is Paul from this verse? An apostle of Jesus Christ. So do you see what we're doing? We're answering, letting scripture answer scripture. Because you don't want to just say, oh yeah, yeah, Paul was that guy who was on the road to Damascus. Like that's true, but what is this verse bringing out about Paul specifically? Because that might have something, how he introduces himself, might have something to do with the message that he's conveying. Does that make sense? And let me introduce it this way. How many of you have ever canvassed before? Anyone? How you introduce yourself may have a difference to the audience you're talking to and also how I convey myself. Does that make sense? So say my brother here is an atheist, right? Am I gonna walk up to him as a canvasser and be like, hey, I'm a Christian student. Like, praise the Lord, it's so good to meet you. Like, am I gonna do something (laughs) like that? No, because what does that do? It totally distances me from him. But if I come to him and be like, hey, man, what's, what's going on? You know, I'm just a student working through school. And as I'm talking to him, I'm talking about being open minded and how we need to have a foundation for what we believe and we shouldn't just be ignorant and how I really respect him because he's thinking through his belief system. You know, things like that. And just how I'm relating to him helps you to know what the issue is that's going on with him, right? And that's the same thing in Scripture. When we start to understand the context, we can understand what, what's going on, what, why Paul is saying what he's saying, how he's saying it. Does that make sense? Was that too many progressions? But when we when we realize that what I'm saying to him is adapted to how his situation is, it helps us to get a full picture of what's taking place, correct? And this is nothing new, right? We've we're we're all common with we're familiar with these things. So Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. Now I want to skip to verse three, okay? Because this is where we get out of the introduction. Now verse three says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ. So who's being blessed? God. And why is he being blessed? Why is that? From the verse explicitly. I'm just asking you, I'm not going to ask you a trick question. It's going to be like the next line. So why are we being blessed? Because he has blessed us with what? So God has blessed us with spiritual blessings and where are these spiritual blessings? So does that mean we're never going to touch them? Does that mean they're, they're nothing to do with us? Does this make sense? It might sound monotonous to keep asking so many questions. But when you say, okay, so the spiritual blessings are coming from heavenly places and those heavenly places where these spiritual blessings are in are in Christ. Does that make sense? So we're getting the picture of what's going on. What Paul is saying is that we are blessed with spiritual blessings that come through Christ and he is in the heavenly places. So this is what's taking place. Verse 5, or verse 4. According, so does it sound like there's a connection with the previous verse? According? Do you start a sentence with according or a paragraph? No, you don't, unless you're according to some author of something else and you're quoting them. So according as he hath chosen us in him. So we're blessed with spiritual blessings in Christ. How? Verse 4. Because he has chosen us in him. When did he choose us though? Did he just choose us when he he died on the cross? Or when did this take place? Before the foundation of the world. And then you start to think, are there any other verses that sound like foundation of the world? Have you ever heard that phrase before in scripture? Like, lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And you're just starting to get this full picture. Okay, this is what he's talking about. That we have spiritual blessings in Christ. Because before time began, Christ chose us in him. That's where we're at right now, right? And so we keep looking. And it says, what has he chosen us to? Anyone? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So does this make sense? It's kind of a progression. It's making you think, okay, this is why this is here. And be thinking that continually. Why did Paul put this here? Why is this sentence in this structure? Verse 5 having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. So does that sound kind of like a summation of what he said in the last verse? Would you agree? And so, as he continues on, having predestinated us according to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to what? So wait, you mean the Father didn't make Christ come down to die on the cross for us? It was according to... Christ's own good pleasure? Don't we kind of have that feeling sometimes? Why did God make Jesus die? You know, have you ever heard that question? Why didn't Jesus die himself, or why didn't God die himself, some people say? But we realize that it was Christ who desired to die according to his good pleasure, right? And what is that good pleasure? Verse 6. Or, oh, I'm sorry, it, it continues on in a second. It kind of takes a caveat or a parenthetical statement. So, good pleasure of his will, verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So wait, what's the, what, why are they praising, why are they praising God to the praise of the glory of his grace? Anyone? It's Because he's made us accepted, right? And so we have this idea that God has given us all spiritual blessings. So what are those spiritual blessings now that he's given us in Christ? Acceptance. He has chosen us in him. And now some of you may be, Seeing this and like, okay, well, I know that already. But I just want to let you know how scripture can impact a person's life. I remember the first time I was studying this through, and as I'm looking at it, and I come from a background where um, I haven't always felt accepted, even by family and different things like that, you know, because of parent situations, divorce, you know, different things, and you just feel kind of distant. And you almost feel like you have to work to be accepted, right? And then as I'm reading Ephesians, I'm like, wait, God died so that I could be accepted in him. Does that make sense? He, he went through the whole process. He had predestined. He knew that he wanted me to be with him. He wanted me to be holy and without blame. And he didn't say I had to do something in order to do that. But he took the initiative, and he died, so that I could be accepted in him. And I remember reading that, and my heart was just so convicted. Like, I can serve a God who does something like this. Now, he continues on. Paul continues to this thought. But can you see how it's connected? Does, I don't know about you, maybe I'm just really simplistic in thinking, but I am so literal. And when I see a verse division, it breaks my momentum, and sometimes it's just like I can't see any connection, and I I get so caught up in details. But what Paul is trying to say is just painting this picture of how we're accepted, and do you see how it's just a flow of thought instead of all these disconnected verses and just little proverbs of sayings? So... I want to go ahead and move down. There's a ton more in this, in this passage that you can look at that's powerful because he continues this whole train of thought. But I really want to skip down to something else that really impacted me in my life. And so let's go down to verse 15. In this verse, Paul is, what is he doing? In verse 15. Can someone summarize that? So, so, he's confirming their faith. He's saying, hey, you know, I've, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I, I've heard that you're being Christians, you know, your love unto all the saints. And he continues in verse 16. Cease, and cease not to give thanks for you, uh, make mention of you um, in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, what Paul is doing is he's praising the Lord for the work that's done in the people of Ephesus, Right? He's saying, I can't, I can't stop being grateful for what God is doing. And then he says that he's praying, right? Does he say that he's praying for them? Making mention of them in my prayers? Now, what is it that Paul is praying for these people for? As we look through the next few verses, we're going to see three things. Paul is praying for three distinct things for these people. So he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of what? Wisdom. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, okay? That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. So it's kind of, he's looking at the same issue, but he's putting it in three separate categories. Does that make sense? Wisdom, knowledge, eyes of enlightenment. So that your eyes may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then, what else does he want them to know? Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? So he's saying, hey, I want you to know three things. I want you to know what the, the wisdom and knowledge of God are. I want your eyes to be enlightened. And I want for you to know what the exceeding greatness of the power is in Christ. Do you guys see that? And so he continues with this thought about the power in Christ for the next several verses. And it says, which he wrought in Christ. So the same power of God was wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So then you could ask the question, so when was the power of God exercised in, in Christ's life? When he was resurrected from the dead, right? And you think, wow, that's, that's some sufficient power, right? This had caused God to be raised from the dead. Verse 21, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So what does he do? He's he's saying, I want you to understand what the power of God is. This power was wrought in Christ. And what are these next verses? They almost seem disconnected, right? These what is he doing in verses twenty one through twenty-three? He's, I'll, I'll make it simple. He's making praise to Christ, right? He's saying you're, you're far above all principalities, powers, might, and dominion. And it's almost like this parenthetical statement. And then chapter two, verse one, is really powerful. Remember the backdrop that we have. He's praying that the, they would understand the power of God. power of God is revealed in Christ. When Christ was what? Where was the power of God revealed? In the resurrection. So it was when they were resurrected, when Christ was resurrected, that the power of God was seen. And then he comes to chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, And you hath he what? Quickened or made alive or resurrected, could be another word, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, is this a powerful connection? Christ is saying, you know, Paul's saying, I really want you to understand the power of God. Like, I'm praying for it because the power of God was revealed in Christ when Christ was resurrected from the dead. Not only that, though, the power of God is revealed because you, too, has he resurrected from the dead. And I don't know about some of you, but I think of my own life. Man, how could God ever change someone like me? And God says, I've quickened Christ. I made him alive. How can I not raise you from the dead as well? Now he continues on, He because you may ask now, well, what does it mean to be dead in trespasses and sins? We don't want to just conjecture about that and make up our own opinion. So verse 2, he excribes, describes the experience that we had before Christ, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You're a worldly person. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation or conduct in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath even as others. So what picture is painted? This is just pre-conversion, right? I mean, someone he's saying we all had our conduct in the same way. We've all been dead in sins. We've all had this experience where we've just walked according to the course of the world. But it's at that time when Christ made us alive. And what hit me is how many of you have family members that you've been praying for? And that you're praying, Lord... What is it going to take to change their heart? How can you change their heart? I mean, have you ever actually thought that? Like, Lord, really? Like, I'm praying for family member X, and it just doesn't seem like anything's happening. And then you read this, and you think, wow, the same power that God used to resurrect Christ from the dead is the same power that he exerts to resurrect our family members from spiritual death? Is there any lack in that power? And so as you read through this, you can see what Paul is wanting them to experience, right? The power of God. It's not just some ambiguous power that he's talking about, but it's the resurrecting power in our own lives. Now he continues, verse 4, but Paul who is rich in or sorry, but God who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has what? Quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. So you say, Lord, how are you ever going to save me? How am I going to be good enough to get to the point where you can pull me from the depths of sin? And God says, no, 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 no. It's in those depths that I'm going to resurrect you from. You don't have to, you don't have to step out of your experience where you're, you're so lost in sin to come to me, but I'm going to come to you and give you life in Christ. Does that make sense? And this is where the Bible started coming to life to me. Does that make sense? You're starting to connect all these principles and all the different um, pictures that are laid out and you're starting to see it as one large overarching theme instead of these disconnected verses. Are you guys seeing that? Is that helping in your understanding of what it means to question scripture? Not in questioning the authority but how to ask questions to it? Because what you want to do, so verse four, let's just take another example. But God who is rich in mercy. So who is God according to this verse? He's rich in mercy. Why? Why is he rich in mercy? Like, what, what shows that? For his great love that he's shown us. But what, where was that love shown? Where He had made us, quickened us together with Christ. He gave us life with Christ. That's how it was shown that he is a God of love and that he's a God of mercy. Well, how does this take place, though? Is it something that I do? No, by his grace are you saved. Does that make sense? And so you're just constantly thinking, why is this here? What is the point of this verse being here? Now, other great key words to look for, because we don't have much time together, is when you're studying Scripture, what was a word that we saw linked back to the previous verse? It was according, right? What are some other verses that link back to prior verses that are just explicit? Therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, you should find out what it's there for, right? And so, seriously, if you think, okay... Therefore, are ye whatever, you know, and you're thinking, okay, well, that must be a summary of what's happened before, right? So you need to go back. Or you'll read in Paul's writings in Hebrews where it says, now, of all things that we have spoken, this is the sum. Do you think that's something you want to listen to? He's like, this is exactly what I'm trying to say. You know, where the author is pulling attention to the scripture, make sure that you're trying to find out what he's doing to follow the train of thought. So... Instead of just trying to explain it without any feedback, I'm going to open up the floor to ask if you have any questions. Um, What are questions that you have about studying the Bible specifically, devotion life, anything like that? I'm not claiming to have all the answers. If I don't know, I'm just going to say I don't know, and maybe someone else can help us. Um, But if I do, I'm going to try to share it with you. So any questions from anyone? Are there any versions that do not work well for study? Any versions that do not work well for study? You know... What I recommend, without getting into a whole debate on which versions are right, is that there are versions that are are literal versions. And so um, I remember when I first started studying, I had a message Bible. I don't know if you guys heard of that. It's a paraphrase. I don't recommend it for studying. Um, Even clear word. I'm not preaching against, you know, you should never read it for a devotional material or anything. But it's not a literal study. So things that I stick to are, I really like New King James, probably because it's widely accepted and it's easy to read in public. Um, also, the ESV is a very literal translation, and, uh, which is the English Standard Version. Also, there's the New American Standard, which I really like because the, the verbs uh, seem to be quite accurate in that. Um, also, there's King James. You know, that's, it's been good to study. Um, and I'm not ruling out others, but those are the ones that I have specifically usually stayed with, but I'm not totally against it. Just see if it's a literal Bible, because usually they say on the Bible, like literal or paraphrase, or whatever the case may be. So that's, that's what I would say for that. Anyone else? Another question? And this can be a question like, how do you, like, what questions do you ask? Like, anything that's on your mind, I don't, I don't know because I can't read your mind. And so that's just what I'm, I'm asking. I just don't want you to walk away and be like, well, I wish you would have talked about this. Like, well, I'd love to if you'd tell me. So um, anyone else who has any questions or comments or anything to that degree. Yeah. So, you know, commenting not to become discouraged if you forget about your devotional life one day. And I would say that's a huge point. You know, I want to make sure that a life with Christ is a life of consistency. If we realize that God is the one who is taking, taking all the initiative and all we have to do is accept his working in our life. You know what I mean? Like don't be discouraged. Discouragement is the biggest thing that God hates. I mean, we can repent. And repent, if you, if you miss time with God and you realize, man, I've really been slipping, ask God for forgiveness. But that doesn't mean you have to like beat yourself and whip yourself. And I mean, I really was in that, that state. Like, I'm just going to tell you how bad it was when I would miss time with God. I felt like it would take at least three days to get it back. It was because I was taking a quote of Ellen White out of context. And so I, I waited those three days of probation and I would fast. And I was like, God, please. And I literally lost 20 pounds because I was like fasting. I was discouraged. Lord, what can I do to get back? and it's God when we ask for forgiveness he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so God's not a vindictive God who holds it over our head and said but oh you remember last time you messed up? Sorry hold on a second like, so consistency with God is, really comes from our view of who he is so I, I really appreciate you bringing that up again any other points? no very good so she's reiterating the point for those who didn't hear of just the importance of sharing on Bible times we see the dead sea it wasn't giving it wasn't taking in it was just stagnant to itself. Or it was only taking in, sorry. But it wasn't giving, and it became dead. But then we have the Sea of Galilee, which was constantly giving. And it was, had many minerals and all those different things. And so it was, it's when you get in, you need to give out. So as much input as you're getting, have an output for it as well. So does that make, is that clear, like how you could do that, how to do it practically? I think we shared some ideas for those who weren't here. You know, sharing verses with your friends. Um, you know, something great. I keep glow tracks in my pockets usually. I don't have any now. I have them in my backpack. Share those with people. Do you guys know what glow is? Little Bible pamphlets. Um, wonderful to pass out. Thank you. We have some good LEs in the back. And, you know, just pass something out. I mean, even on campus, I remember one Sabbath, I was like, I have to share with someone. God's showing me so much. So I went out and started knocking on houses in College Dale and, hey, like, hey, God bless. Like, hand them glow tracks. And one person was like, hey, um, I don't know if you know this, but we're all Adventists. And I was like, yeah, I know. Like, but I have no one else to tell. So I'm just starting here. I don't have a car. I can't drive anywhere. And she was like, okay. I was like, God bless. And like, how was Sabbath school? Oh, cool. So, and then, like, you know, we have to do something. So make it as practical as you can. I started knocking on dorm rooms next to me. Like, I don't know if any of you actually got knocked on by me. Oh, Danny. So I was knocking on dorm rooms because I'm like, what else do I do? So Sabbath afternoon, I'd take a sheet of paper and be like, anything I can pray for? And you guys are like. Who are you? I'm, I'm just the neighbor right over there. Like, it's not weird, man. I'm just praying for you. Okay. And then I would leave, like, glow literature on the table. So, I mean, make it practical. It doesn't have to be something extravagant. Just do it. And the great thing is, is you can start doing it, and it becomes so common that you just catch people off guard. Like, hey, man, how are you doing spiritually? And they're like, uh, good. Like, uh, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I, that was my favorite question, because most people didn't know how to answer. And so... Because they're so used to you saying, you know, like, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, good, good. And they're like, how are you doing spiritually? And they're like, I actually had to think for this one. Like, you know, so just just do something practical. Switch it up. Anyone else questions anything that wasn't clear that I said? Or wanting to know more information of how to make this practical in your life? Yes, ma'am? More than one way to interpret a verse. I mean, obviously, there are... There are more than one way to interpret a verse. So to answer this question, it's hard to without like looking at a specific verse. Now, the easiest way to safeguard yourself against interpreting a verse in a wrong way is letting the verse interpret itself. And what I'm saying by this is, okay, if, we're, if you think very logically and systematically, like step by step. So let's just take a verse for instance. Like, we can pull out any verse pretty much. Let's see, we're in chapter two of Ephesians. So let's look at... Um, Let's just say verse 12, okay? Chapter 2, verse 12. It says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, something that would help us to interpret this incorrectly would be like, oh, they're strangers or aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. Man, they weren't rich people. You know, they were really poor. And is that what it's talking about? No. You know, as we start to see context, context is really, it's the structure with, that you're in that kind of safeguards you against all the other interpretations. For example, we know that this commonwealth is the acceptance that that Israel was experiencing in Christ, because that's what we've been looking at all the way through Ephesians, right? And so Paul doesn't just insert this thing and hope you're going to figure it out, you know, but there's always a logical progression. And one great thing that I would really encourage is don't feel like you know so much that you can't read, like, commentaries or something like that, in this sense. I'm not saying accept every single thing you read from a commentary, but you can read, use Ellen White's writings as a really good commentary, like just kind of safeguarding yourself. Like, okay, I think this is what the verse is saying. I should search to see what Ellen White says. So I'll get on there, I'll put the verse in, and then I'll see, okay, is she bringing out certain principles that I was thinking, or is it something totally different? Because if it's something totally different, then I must be off track. Does that make sense? And you can also look at like SDA Bible Commentary, Wonderful, wonderful material. I'm not saying it's infallible or anything like that, but it's a good resource to use. And, but for the most part, just stay within the the context. And I know that's really hard to say without actually going through a lot of examples, but that it's not breaking the flow or breaking the train of thought of what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, this isn't something that we're just making up to. And that's something really important, which we were talking about in the last session, that God is faithful to lead us into all truth. So if you have this attitude of like, oh, I know what this means, then you're going to probably easily misinterpret it. But if you come to it, oh, I'm not really sure. And that's why I would wrestle with a verse like an hour every morning. Because it's like, I don't want to interpret this wrong. I want to see it in the same flow. I want to really understand what's being said instead of just conjecturing. Oh, well, I know what it means to be an alien. You know, aliens came from outer space. And, you know, like you're not just making these things up. You're, you're following through the systematic context of what he's saying. I don't know if that helps. Yeah. So that, that's really fascinating. Um, because we, we do this continually, like canvassing. You, you're constantly meeting people who have these different interpretations. It all comes back to their preconceived ideas. Because we come, let's just be honest, we all come to the Bible with preconceived ideas, right? We come with an Adventist pair of glasses on that we're looking at when we look at the Bible. And so sometimes it's hard to step back and see their view. But there have been very few times, actually, there's only, I mean, most times people bring up an objection that they're like, oh, but it says it this way. You can think of, well, the context of that verse doesn't support that. And what about other things in the Bible? And so when you start looking at larger themes in the scripture, it helps you to safeguard too, because you're not just looking at this one little pinhole of information versus the vast words of scripture. But I I think that's a really good point. We could talk more after. If you have specific questions, I would love to, you know, look through those. Amen. Yeah. Verses before and after is definitely a huge safeguard. And I mean, that's a powerful thought. I mean, we could go into just the verse itself. Like it's beautiful what Paul's bringing out. And so I really what I've found is that people who usually misinterpret scripture, misinterpret it because they desire to misinterpret or they are they're trying to support something they believe. Yeah, and they're not open. They're saying, no, no, no. This is, this is what my church teaches, though. This is what pastor said on Sunday. This is, you know, and I'm like, well, but this here is clear that that couldn't work. Well, no, no, no. But this is what happened, you know, and they're just arguing back and forth and not looking at it. And that's why we really need to be true to scripture, not twisting it, but just being honest. And honestly, an open reading of scripture is not going to be confusing. God didn't intend to confuse us. And here's a, a verse to claim. This is what I've claimed hundreds of times. James chapter one, verse five. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it will be given him. Because there are going to be times when you're looking at a verse and you're thinking, wow, I don't know. Like, I'm studying Galatians. Whew, like, I, I don't know sometimes, you know. But God is faithful. He's going to give wisdom. He's going to provide. And if he wants me to understand it, he's going to make it clear. If not, I have enough evidence to base my faith on and I'm going to keep moving on in my study. Yeah, people, people who are closed off to hearing about the Bible, it's really hard. And so really, that's why Adventists are the most open-minded people in Scripture. And and this is what I'm just going to say in a biased way, obviously. Like, we're we're going there with no preconceived. We're not trying to support anything. We're not even trying to, like, fight to support the Ten Commandments. We're not trying to fight to support the Sabbath because it's so explicitly clear we don't have to work very hard. All we have to do is read the Bible and just, yeah, this is what it says. And they come up with some fanciful interpretation. If you have to struggle that hard to make it up, it's probably not right. So there's, there's someone with a hand in the back. I don't know. if. Yeah. You know, and I think God really gives us a blessing in not being able to understand surface on the, the just immediate reading. Because I think of the verses, um, can't think of it off the top of my head, but it says, you shall seek me and find me. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with what? Oh. All your heart. And so sometimes when you come to these parts where you're wrestling with scripture, this is when it really gets good. Because that just means you're about to get to a point where you're struggling so hard and you're seeking after God and you're praying and you're like, Lord, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I want to. And then the breakthrough hits and you understand it. And I've had times where the first time that breakthrough happened was in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. And I just cried like a baby on my bed. And I was like, yes, Like, it's clear, Scripture's beautiful. Like, so don't be afraid to wrestle with it. Don't be afraid to have questions. And don't be afraid to think, well... Could they support their idea from this? Like, what, how could I prove what I believe? But not, not supporting it, but saying, is that really true? Like, is that in the context of this verse, is it true what I'm saying? Are there any final questions, Danny? So the, the question is, is so many different plans for reading the Bible through in a year. How do you choose what's the best or what's my perception on the Bible readings through a year? My thought is... I've started those many times, like reading the Bible through a year plans, and then I've stopped. And every time it's been because there's a quote, and I don't want to quote it to you and Ellen White because I don't have the reference and I hate when people do that. And, but I'll give you the idea without her reference, and I'm sure you can support it. If you're seeking to read, just reading through a surface understanding of the Bible without any specific aim, and you're not really grasping the deeper things, is it really worth your time that much? You know what I mean? Like we, I'm saying get an overview of scripture, read it through. But you still want to read through with a purpose. Like you want to be able to comprehend and not just, I'm going to read seven chapters a day so I can fly through the Bible. Because what does it matter if you say, oh, I've read the Bible through, but I didn't understand a word of it, you know? So the idea is comprehension. If you can comprehend two to three chapters a day and like really grasp it, more power to you. Praise the Lord for your wisdom. And, you know, keep moving through with that speed. Some of us, like myself, like can't get through it more than a few verses a day. And so I would recommend to just go slower to, to not pace yourself to have to rush through and you're like, oh, what about this? Well, I had to keep reading. You know, and you read through and you're like, man, I didn't even get that. Like, I don't understand. So something I, I do recommend that can be helpful is studying something um, verse by verse and then also on the side, reading through the scripture, just kind of casually more getting an, an overview of it. And so I don't know if that helps answer your question, but... It's just more, we want to get into scripture, understanding what they're saying, not just reading the words. How many of you have read your textbook and not gotten a thing out of it and you've had to read the same paragraph? (laughs) It happens with the Bible all the time, especially because it's in such a different context. And so we want to make sure that we're understanding it, not just getting through it. So any other questions? If not, we'll go ahead and close with prayer. So I want to thank you for your time. I pray that it's been helpful. And feel free to ask any specific questions. If you have anything to ask, I'm around to talk. Um, and I'm around to talk a little bit later because I'm on a three-hour different schedule, so I'll be awake for a while. So feel free to feel free to talk. We can chat. And uh, I pray that the Lord will lead us all in having a deeper understanding of Scripture and that we can really know who He is better and fall in love with Him more. So why don't we go ahead and kneel in closing prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful that you have blessed us to be able to gather together today. Lord, we know we're enjoying a freedom that we take for granted, um, just being able to talk about your word so freely. And Father, we've often held the Bible and read the Bible been been so casual about it. And Lord, now we really want a deeper desire to know it more. We just pray that you would change our hearts. Lord, help us not to just do a casual perusal of scripture, but to be able to understand the deep truths of your character. And Lord, not just to understand the truths, but allow them to impact our lives, to be internalized, and that the lessons would change us from the inside out and that we would share it with those around us. So, Father, we just pray that you would guide us. May we never be discouraged. May we be encouraged knowing that you love us and that you are always faithful to your people and that you will guide us into all truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse